Morning, Redeemer King. Andy Kind with you on this Sunday morning. Delighted to be talking to you, minus a bowler hat and also minus socks. I'm pretty much a hippie this morning, but I've got Alan with me and we're happy to be speaking to you. We're going through Nehemiah 8 verses 13 to 18 this morning. I've been working on my Derbyshire phrases, so uh, the weather needs to get over its sen. And uh, nevertheless, I've got a talk for you this morning, which is Rate good. So, uh, good morning to you, Alan. Oui, bonjour, monsieur. Okay, um, and um, how, are, how are you? Oui, ça marche. Il y a trois jours, je me suis cassé le bras, mais ça va mieux maintenant. Okay, can I ask you a question? What? Why are you speaking French? Parce que je suis français et je viens de France. You, you come from France? I didn't know that. You speak such good English. Oui, je parle très bien anglais parce que ça fait longtemps que j'habite en Angleterre, mais non, au début, je viens de, de France. Ma famille me manque toujours, tous les jours. Your family is still over there and they, they miss you. But I'm sorry, I'm confused because I, I didn't realise you were from France because I got you from the Donnell Mill in Chesterfield and you cost 12 I'm, I'm I'm sorry, I, I was mistaken. Oui, vous vous êtes trompé. La faute n'est pas à moi, monsieur. Yeah, no, I understand. That, I understand it's my fault. I'm, I'm very, I'm very sorry. I'm very uh, désolé. Oui, euh, de rien. Euh, continuez, allez-y, continuez faire votre discours pour ce matin. Okay, thank you. That that was really weird. So we're going through Nehemiah, and Nehemiah eight thirteen to eighteen is another relevant verse. The theme, the overall theme this morning, what I want us to get from this this morning, is that you can look back on your past. You can see where God has brought you from in your past. You can celebrate with him in your present and you can trust him for your future. That's what we're going to look at this morning. And it's relevant because you have a lot of people, obviously in this time, saying, well, what is, what is God doing? What is God doing during this coronavirus? What is God doing during this pandemic lockdown? The answer is that God is doing what God is always doing and always has been doing. Second Corinthians says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That's what God is always doing. He's doing the same thing now as he was during the Crusades, during the time of the plague and the Black Death, during all the wars that have happened. God's primary aim is to be in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Jesus says in John 8, before Abraham was, I am. Now, I am, it's a, it's a pun. It means Yahweh, and that's the name that God gives himself in the Old Testament. But Jesus is saying, before Abraham ever was, before the great father of your nation was born, I am. I already was, but I am. There is never a point where Jesus is anything other than present. God is always present tense. And that might be quite abstract for us, but it is very reassuring because what it means is that whereas we are caught out by what's going on, the Lord is not caught out. Jesus is always present tense, always. Think about it this way. If you imagine you're um, playing a, imagine yourself as one of the, a little character on a snakes and ladders board. And you're, you're the little character, the little counter going forward. And the numbers 1 to 100 on the squiggly 
line are moments and events in your life. And you experience them consequentially. You experience them chronologically. You go from one to seven, etc., etc. And you can't experience 79 before you've experienced three. But if your life, if the timeline of your life is the, the map or the track on that games board, well, God is the board. God is the board. It may be not the best analogy, but it, it, it gets us somewhere to understanding who God is or how unfazed God is by this. God is the board. God sees and experiences square number 99 just as presently and vividly as he experiences square number one. So he's not caught out by what's going on at square 17, what's going on at square 88, because it's all happening in the same moment, in the same instant. God has come into time in Jesus, but he's also outside of time and he, he sustains time. This is why people, um, a lot of people say, well, how can God answer prayers all at the same time? How can God answer everybody's prayers all at the same time? You know, an, an author writing a book, I've written a few books, and um, I might write in one of my books, uh, Tom put the kettle on and then there was a knock at the door. Now for Tom, the character in the story, there isn't any gap between the kettle boiling and him going to answer the door because it's happening within the time frame of the story but for me as the author there could be there could be months and I'm quite lazy so there probably is there could be months between me writing the first part of that sentence and the follow-up sentence where Tom opens the door and I might have gone away I might be thinking about Tom a lot the point is that God isn't phased by the panic that we have about the present or about the future or about the past so what is God doing in this, in this pandemic? He's doing what he's always doing. He is in Christ, redeeming the world and reconciling the world to himself. And he will continue to do that. And the question is, are we ready for that? Do we want to be reconciled to God? If you hear his voice this morning, do not harden your heart. So I'm going to read the passage and then we shall continue. Nehemiah 8 verses 13 to 18. Here we go. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered round Ezra, the teacher of the law, to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms and other leafy trees to make temporary shelters, as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God and in the square by the water gate and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua son of Nun until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. 
They celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. So, just before, just before this, in verse 12, they've been told that the joy of the Lord is their strength. So in, in the talk that Carl did a couple of weeks ago, they're told that the joy of the Lord is their strength. Now, if you want to get soaking wet, have a shower, go to the shower or throw yourself in a swimming pool or a, a river. If you want to get dry and warm, stand by a heater, go and stand by a fire. You've got to go to where the sources of these things are. If you want strength, you've got to go where strength is found. If you want to be full of strength, you've got to go to the source of strength. And that's the Lord. God isn't the allocator of strength. He doesn't just hand out strength and joy and peace like crisps at a terrible party. He is the source of these things. He's the source of strength. If you want strength in your life, if you want purpose in your life, if you want joy, you've got to come and be close to God. That's, that's the deal. There isn't a place that God can send you to be, to be strong without him, to be joyous without him. He is the source of these things. So they're told that the joy of the Lord is their strength. Stay close to the Lord and you'll get strength and you'll get joy. But then it says in verse 13, give attention. They were told to give attention to the words of the law. Now, this is interesting because after this massive backslapping, high-fiving crescendo of the joy of the Lord is our strength, they've been given an instant warning. And the Bible is, is full of occasions where warnings and assurances are given side by side. So in Hebrews it says, we must pay closer attention to what we've learned so that we do not drift away. The book of James says, um, be doers of the word and not just hearers. And it's always written to people who love Jesus. And all of these, all of these letters, all of the letters in the New Testament have encouragements about how much God loves us. But there's warnings. It's not enough for you to have heard the gospel. It's not enough to believe the gospel. Even the demons believe that and they, and they tremble. It's not enough to hear as a concept that the joy of the Lord could be your strength. You've got to pay attention. You've got to pay attention to what the words are saying. You've got to understand who God is, how he can help you, but what is required of you. And all that is required of you is, is, to, be, is to be in his presence. And for us, one of the ways that we can get into his presence is by reading his word, by understanding what he says about us, compared to all the lies that we hear about us, even the nice sounding lies that we hear about us from society. You know, L'Oreal says you're worth it. Well, what are you worth? You're worth buying their products. Jesus says you're worth it. What are you worth? You're, you're worth dying for. But we've got to listen. We've got to pay closer attention. We've got to give attention. So it said in verse 12, they had great joy because they understood the words that had been made known to them. But understanding, again, isn't enough. Understanding that Jesus loves you 
isn't enough. You've got to journey with him. Follow, don't fake. He wants followers, not fakers. Once you understand how God feels about you, keep paying close attention. For us, that looks like getting into our word. And anytime you're reading the Bible, the two questions that we should be looking at are, what should I do with this knowledge? And how should my life change? What should I do with this knowledge? And how should my life change as a result of this knowledge? That's what it means to to give attention. The word of God is living and active. And we need, those of us who are living, need to be actively engaged with us, with it. Let me give you an an example. Because the, the point is that if we're not in our word, I know we say this a lot, but that's because it is really important. And if we're beating the same drum, it's because it's, it's the drum that needs to be beaten the most. Uh, about a year ago, I went down to Bedford to a Randy Clark conference. Now, Randy Clark, very famous within Christian circles, particularly those of us who would call ourselves charismatic Christians and beyond that sort of spectrum. Um, Randy Clark, largely responsible for a lot of the charismatic stuff that you see going on. He's quite old now, but I went down to this thing in Bedford and um, I really wanted to feel the Holy Spirit. I really wanted to feel something. You know, I know God and I love God. I've had loads of experiences with him, but I wanted another one. I wanted something to kick off. And Randy Clark said, um, right, we're going to just pray for the Holy Spirit to come and just anoint and bless people and touch people in different ways. So everybody get, everybody get ready. Everyone, there's like 400 of us there. Everybody close your eyes. And, and when you open your eyes, um, if you felt the Holy Spirit moving in you, then come forward. It was, it was, a, bit, it was a bit wacky, but um, I am a bit wacky. So I'm, 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 I'm standing with my eyes closed. And when I open them, half the room had gone forward half the room was already at the front because they'd felt a tingling genuine or or self-imposed that's not the point i'm trying to make but i didn't feel i didn't feel anything but what i did feel was absolutely gutted i felt really lonely i felt really dejected and i remember thinking why didn't i feel anything what have I done wrong? When's it, when's it my turn? When's it my turn to have an experience like that? And, and driving back from Bedford, I was, I was feeling pretty low. I was chatting to the Lord about it in the days after that. And I, I remember feeling like the Lord was saying to me, what is it that you don't have that you needed that event to provide for you? You already, you already know me. You already have a platform. You're already out on the street sharing sharing the gospel you you have the gifts that you have everything you need i've given you these gifts you're not lacking anything and the point is this when we're talking about giving attention to what the word says the bible tells you lots of things about who you are in the light of who god is one of the most dramatic things that the bible tells you is that once you come to jesus you are adopted into god's family You are no longer a slave, but a son or a daughter in royal robes that you don't deserve, but in them nevertheless. 
you are a child of God, a son, a daughter. And this was really helpful for me. Because you know what? Reading in his word that I'm a son means that when I go into a situation where I feel like an orphan, I know that it's not true. I know that my feelings are subjugated by the thoughts I have from engaging with the word. The Bible is true and you have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Feelings follow thoughts. When we engage, when we give attention, pay closer attention, be doers of the word, not just hearers only, we understand that God says that we are sons and daughters. We know that's true. As Jesus says in John 8, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That means when you feel like an orphan, you can own the feeling, but you can also show it the back door as readily as it's come in the front door. So that's what it means to give close attention. To be hearers, not just hearers of the word, but doers also. So verses 14 onwards, they, they learn in the law that they were commanded to build shelters, temporary shelters, to celebrate and reflect on. It's called the Feast of, of the Tabernacles. To celebrate and reflect on the time when God rescued Israel from being out in the desert and the wilderness. And they're celebrating this as a result of what they're reading in the law. So verse 18, day after day, Ezra read. Now I know some Christians who would think the idea of day after day reading God's word would be a chore. Oh, I've got to do this day after day. But this is not the model that's, that's being found here. It says day after day they are reading in the law and they had never celebrated like it and their joy was very great. It's because we don't come and we shouldn't come to the Bible just as a book to be read as homework but as the primary means by which we engage engage with the living sorry a fly just went above me engage with the living God. It's not a chore, it's a doorway into the throne room. When we're reading the Bible, it's a doorway into the throne room. So they're reflecting on the times they've been rescued out of the wilderness. And, and this, is, this, is the, this is the interesting thing, this is why it's relevant. We feel as though we're in temporary shelters at the moment. This, this feels like it's dragging this pandemic and, and this lockdown, but it is temporary. We're, we're building temporary shelters, this online church thing. It's not going to last forever. But whilst we're in it, we can still celebrate and we can take the chance and the time to look back on what God has done. And at some point we will celebrate the moment or the occasion or the season where God rescued us from this pandemic. And he knows when it's going to happen, because remember, he experiences all parts of the board simultaneously. We will celebrate the time when God rescued us from this season. But whilst we're in it now, we can still celebrate. We can still engage with his word, celebrate who he is. Look back on the times 
where he's rescued us in the past. Have great joy in the present and trust him for our future. This is what this passage is about and this is so important. And this is the beauty of of the gospel. A, a, A very popular phrase is, I don't have no regrets. I mean, that's how it tends to be said. And that's nonsense. Like, I have lots of regrets. I have loads of regrets. There's loads of things that I regret doing and and not doing. Jesus doesn't say you shouldn't have any regrets, but Jesus does say you cannot play, you cannot plough a straight furrow by looking back. Essentially, you can't look back and continue to walk forward in a straight line. Because Jesus is present at all moments, now is always the time to come to Jesus. Now is always the time to repent. Now is always the time to say, okay, Jesus, I need you, please. I need this strength. I need this joy that you're, that you're offering me. I'm coming into your presence to get, to get these things. You are where you are. But when you come to Jesus, wherever you are, he is there in that moment with you. And it's always about from here, where do we go? You cannot plough a straight furrow by looking back. And it doesn't mean that you don't have any regrets but do you know what? Something I've learned over the last two and a half years, maybe a bit longer, looking back, is that even though I've walked through the valley of the shadow of death, I needn't fear any evil because he's been with me. What a message of hope for people. Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death and the shadow of death is over us, all of us as a society, as Christians we need fear no evil because he is with me. And he will make us lie down in green pastures. Not if we don't want to. I mean, he's not going to force you to kind of to splay yourself on the lawn or anything. That's not, that's not the point I'm making. Under the umbrella of our good decision to follow Jesus, all of our bad decisions are covered with grace and redemption. Under the umbrella of our good decision to follow Jesus, all of our bad decisions, of which there are many, are covered with grace and redemption. Jesus is the great redeemer. God was and is in Christ reconciling the world to himself. I have some uh, big regrets, but I've just felt God's favour and his presence with me over the last few years. I can look back. And you know what? If someone said to me, if God said to me, Andy, I can take you back to September 2015 when you agreed to go and run a retreat centre, which would end up being disastrous for you on so many levels. And I can take you back and, and you, wouldn't, you wouldn't end up going to that retreat centre. And your life now would be easier and you'd have a lot more money. But the thing is, you wouldn't be a preacher and you wouldn't be with your family at RK and you wouldn't be doing the stuff evangelistically that I've called you to because you just wouldn't have learned you wouldn't have heard my voice you wouldn't have read it in my in my word you wouldn't have perceived that that's what I was saying to you would you like to go back and I'd I'd have to say no I'm all right here actually thank you I think I'll stay here I regret a lot of the things that happened but I am where I am and where he is I am where I am he is. He's always present with me. He's always present tense. Now is always the best time with Jesus. I remember uh, 
and this is just a final story to encourage us that God redeems and the things that we think we've forgotten, the things that we may have forgotten, because he's so immanent with us, he's so present with us, like what we think is a, a delayed callback is happening it's happening in the present for God. So I did this gig at a Bible college in 2011, and I was quite good, but not very good at comedy then. And it wasn't a very good gig. I didn't do very well that, that night. I think I'd had a, a sluggish journey. It was a bit of a tough gig, and it didn't go very well. Um, and at the end, I heard, overheard this guy saying, oh, I didn't lie, that I didn't think he, I didn't think he was very funny. And um, I didn't get to speak to him really face to face, but he, he saw that I'd heard what he said. And I logged his face. <laughs> And probably I think about him once a month <laughs> for the space of about eight years. I thought, I thought about him about once a month. And imagine scenarios whereby, like one scenario where he was trying to storm a castle and um, some knights on the ramparts gave him the hot oil and he was, he was incinerated. I used to, you know, kind of um, imagine these scenarios. And then I, I saw him last year. I was doing a gig at a summer festival. And he came to one of my gigs, and I, I clocked him, and I knew who it was. I'd only met him once, but the animosity I felt towards him, because he didn't affirm me, my cloying need for affirmation, I knew who he was exactly, and I could tell that he knew who I was. And I did this gig, and I was distracted, I did this gig, but actually, you know what, it was an amazing, it was an amazing gig. And at the end, he made a point of coming up to me and saying, I really enjoyed that. And I could see that I'd been angry with him for years, but he'd obviously been reflecting on it in some way as well. And at that moment, I realized the redemption that was happening and that had happened, that I hadn't needed to hang on to this stuff, this, this sense of um, castigation and this sense of bitterness, because that's not who I am. That's not who I am in Christ. I don't need to be offended because every insult of those who insult me has fallen on Jesus, Romans 15, 3. So it was amazing. Um, you know, I had to chat with this guy and I, you know, I gave him a hug and prayed for him and his wife. And it was just an amazing moment of redemption. The point is that there are some storylines in your life that, that haven't played out yet. But be patient. Wait patiently for the Lord, because he knows what he's doing. He sees the end of the journey. He knows what happens at the end of the game. So just be patient, but pay close attention. Give attention. Day after day, read your word. Study what God says about you. Know that you're a son or a daughter and not a slave. And whilst we're in our temporary shelters, we can still have great joy. We can celebrate knowing where God has brought us from, knowing that he's with us now and trusting him for our future. Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil for he is with us. Have a good day.